So I recently heard a story I wanted to tell you about a lady that lived way out in the woods. Uh, I grew up out in the woods, and she lived way out in the woods, out in the boondocks. And they were finally able to get electricity to where she lived. She had not had electricity, but now they were able to actually run the lines and, and get her power. And when they ran the cable out to her house and they turned on the house or the, or the power, they noticed that after months she was, losing, she was using almost no power that had been run out to her home or to, or to her property. And she was using very, very little. And she had the power, but she actually wasn't apparently using it. So they wanted to try to find out, so like, what was wrong? What's going on? Is there a problem? So they sent out a representative uh, of, the, of the company, and they went to the door. They knocked on the door, and they asked her, you know, are, are you using your electricity here? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I use it every day. And he, he said, well, our meters say that you're not using it. And she said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm using it. I use it every day. And he said, well, can you tell me? how you're using it. And she said, well, it's very simple. She said, when it begins to get dark, I turn on the lights long enough to light my kerosene lamps. <laughs> and, and then I turn them off. <laughs> and I'm sure that you would agree that this lady did not understand the use of power. You see, she had the power, but she actually wasn't utilizing it. She wasn't maximizing it. She wasn't getting everything out of the power that the power was designed to deliver. And we Christians, look, we sing songs about power and authority of God, and we sing songs about all the, the positives and the deposits that God has placed in us. And yet, so many of us, we live lives that feel powerless. Sometimes we seem to live lives where the world and everything that's going around us, it's happening to us. Instead of what we were designed to do, which is to happen to the world. And I know what it's like to be in situations where I have people around me and situations around me uh, that seem like they are bombarding me. And I don't feel like I have power to overcome those things. And sometimes I even feel hopeless. But the truth is, is that there is hope. There is power. There is authority. And so today we launch a series that we're calling Living Life Strong. And in this series, we're going to discover what our authority is in Christ, where we can stop let, letting life happen to us, and we can actually step up into the power and the authority that God has given us through the cross and his name and his word. All right, Because the truth is, is many, many Christians, most Christians, I would say, are not living the life that God intended them to. You see, we're all living in, the, in, in the, one of the crazy times of human history. And right now is no time to cower in fear or even to allow darkness to overcome us or our families, our communities, our finances, our nation, our world. It is time for us to understand the authority that God has given us. Okay, And see, Jesus... <clears throat> He never meant for us to walk through this life as a victim of this world. He never meant for us to be subject to the circumstances of this world, okay? To everything that life would throw at us, he meant for us to be overcomers. In fact, in Luke 10, 19, this is Jesus speaking, okay? And he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, 
Obviously, he's not talking about physical snakes and scorpions. These are symbolic, okay? Because then he says, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And then he says, and nothing will harm you. This is what Jesus said to us. But the problem that many Christians experience is that we don't feel like we have any authority. So few Christians understand, A, what their authority actually is, what power has actually been given to us, and even those of us that understand that we're supposed to have authority, B, we don't understand how to actually walk in that authority, exercise that authority in the world around us. So in this series, I'm going to share with you, A, what is your authority, but also I'm going to give you very practical steps, practical things that we can do to change our world, to turn the world around that is around us. Because God didn't create us to be victims. God didn't create us so that the world could happen to us. He created us to impact our world. Is that right? But our authority in Christ is, seems to be something that is elusive or unseen. Or Here, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about the unseen that it takes to actually make the scene happen? Have you ever thought about the unseen, the invisible things that it actually takes to make the visible happen? And for instance, here's a good example. If you go to the restaurant, what we see in the restaurant is you see the tables and the servers and the food and all that that comes out to us. But what you don't see is the unseen, the kitchen, and all that process that went into it. When you get into a car, you see the seat, the steering wheel, the body, the, the tires. But what you don't see is there's an engine somewhere. There's an engine that actually makes that go. Your cell phone, what you see is you see the case and all the cameras and the screens and the apps and all that stuff. But what we don't see is the battery. What we don't see is all the software that runs it and makes it work. Students, your dinner every night. I know you don't see any of the preparation, the grocery shopping, the bills being paid. You just sit down at the table and there's food miraculously. But all of us parents know that there is an unseen going on in the background, right? Your laundry. <laughs> Our house. We see the lights on. We see the microwave working, the TV working, and we got the remote. And we push the button. What you don't see is the power, the electricity, that there is power and electricity and that there is a process happening somewhere in the unseen that affects what we see. And so there is a whole lot of unseen things going on. And here's what I want you to see, is that what happens in the unseen is as important as what is seen. Okay? What happens in the unseen is just as important as what you experience and what you see. And what I want to do is teach you principles that I believe has the power to actually change everything that is seen for you. And if we can understand our power and our authority in Christ Look, you're going to have a better understanding, a better grasp on how we can walk as more than overcomers in the life that we live. That we can lead a fulfilled life. That we not only have power and authority and circumstances in our lives, but then we are also able to reach out and affect other people's lives. Because how many of you know that... When you feel hopeless in your life, like you got no authority, like the world's just happening to you, you got no power, how many of you know that's hard to focus on other people and be other-centered? When you feel like you're just surviving. And so what I want to do is I want to go higher in the things of God and understand where we understand more of our authority so we can exercise the power and the authority that God gave us in the world that we live in. 
And here's a foundational principle you've got to understand, all right? The higher you go in anything, in life, in understanding, in, or in buildings, in trees, the higher you go, the deeper you have to go as well, okay? If you can understand this principle, it can change totally everything. So every time we go higher in our understanding or in our authority, you've got to go deeper as well, okay? This is how God develops us. This is spiritual maturity, okay? Every time God takes us to another level, he has to also take us deeper, all right? We all got a higher we want to get to, right? We all got a level up that we want to get to in our relationships, in our families, at work, at school, joy and peace in our life, more freedom, more favor, more influence, the job promotion, the expansion. In a thousand different ways, we, all of us want to go higher. We want God to take us higher. But in order for us to go higher, I'm telling you, we've got to get deeper beneath the surface level of our life. Every time we want to go, you want to go to the next level, God wants to take you deeper first. And then the next time you want to go higher, what happens? you got to go another level deeper. There's something else. God puts a new dream in your heart, a vision, a goal. Anytime you go higher, you've got to first go deeper. And whenever we want to go higher in the things of God and our authority in Christ, God has to take us deeper. And we all want, and this is the problem, you, me, we all want the higher. We pray for God, take me higher. But in our flesh nature, we actually naturally resist the deeper things. And can I tell you that whenever you find somebody, or whenever you find, for instance, a building that only goes higher but never goes deeper, guess what that building's going to do? A tree that goes higher but doesn't go deeper? That is so often true of us as followers of Jesus as well. If we don't allow God to take us deeper in the foundations of our faith, and we're only wanting him to take us higher, meet our needs, fulfill his promises, all that kind of stuff, we waver. And in fact, look at James 1.5 here. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, it's okay, ask God. If you want to go higher, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But, here's the but, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. See, that's the deeper that we're going to go. That's the deeper that we have to go in order for you to go higher. So when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because if you do, if the one who doubts, not deep, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So if we don't have that foundation, that root system in your faith, understanding where your power and your authority comes from and what it is, and if you want to go higher in the things of God and you don't have a foundation to keep you stable, we call those flakes. See, those things that you want to accomplish for the things of God, God wants that for you. And it says, that person that doesn't have this root system should not expect to receive anything of God. For such a person is double-minded and unstable. And it's not that God is stiff-arming you and he doesn't want to give you good things. He knows that if you go higher but you don't go deeper, you'll topple over. Finance is a great example of this. If we ask God to bless us with more than enough so that we could be a blessing to other people, we could pour it into the kingdom of God, 
that so that we can bless over is that root and that foundation of the reason God wants abundance and more than enough for you. And if you don't have that deep foundation, see, God blesses us not so that we can just heap it upon ourselves, but so that we could be a blessing to the kingdom. And if you don't have that deeper foundation, that why, then if you do go higher financially, you'll topple over. Greed will get its foot in the door. Influence. If you have more influence over people, but you don't have the foundation of why you want to be influential, so that I can impact as many people as I can for the kingdom of God. If that is not your root system, you're deeper, then that influence will actually turn you away from God. So today, we're going to go deeper. Are you okay going deeper during this series? Good, because I was going to do it anyway. So... So I want to start out by laying a foundation, okay, a root system of what your authority is in Christ as well as where it came from. And we're going to start all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, okay? Now, a little bit of background on Genesis. Moses actually wrote Genesis, okay? He was inspired by God, and God basically dictated it to him, and he wrote it. Now, Moses actually wrote Genesis after the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So Moses, look, he's got millions of people that he's leading across a desert. It's unfathomable. And he's carrying all these people out of a culture where all they know is slavery. The only power they know is the Egyptian power over them. The world has happened to them. And Moses is trying to get them to narrow their focus and change their mindset. So they can re-believe in the one true God. And so Genesis, Moses is not trying to explain how God created the heavens and the earth, although it's there. This is where we miss it. Listen, Moses, he's trying to tell a nation of people who have been subjugated, who have been enslaved, oppressed for hundreds of years. And it's obvious as you read the Exodus story that they have picked up some mentalities, some slave victim mentalities, okay? Some ways of thinking that actually were hindering them from moving forward into what God had for them. And God inspired Moses to write Genesis the way that he did in this context, Okay, so when you understand the context that Genesis was written in, it brings some things alive as to what God was trying to tell his people. And so the foundation, those things that were below the surface, those things that were deep, they needed to be reprogrammed. Their root system had to be totally reprogrammed. And this informed how God gave Genesis to Moses. So once again, They had been used to a life of slavery where the world is constantly bombarding them and happening to them and they have no power. And Genesis brings them something very different. So it starts with a creation story. You guys have heard it. God created the heavens and the earth and the universe and and all with his spoken word. And we see all three people of the Trinity are there. We see the Father. We see the spoken word, which is Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit that he says is hovering over the earth. And so Moses tells of the creation of the planet and the creation, the stars and the skies, the moon, the earth, all the animals, everything, the fish, the birds. And then in Genesis chapter 26 or 126, he makes a whole different being, 
a being unlike any creature that he had made so far. And if you lean in and you listen to how he created us, it'll tell you everything. Watch this. Genesis 1, 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, when it says our image and our likeness, we're hearing the Godhead speaking to each other. God, God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't have multiple personalities. He is a, God is a plural term, okay? God is made up of three distinct beings who are God. It's like if there was a team of three people, you'd call them a team, but yet they are three individuals. And so God, the team, is talking to each other, and he's saying, let us make God, like make man in our image. Friends, I cannot tell you, and I can't emphasize enough what this would have meant to individuals who live their entire lives under oppression. Egyptian rule, manual labor, subjugated to the whims of the Egyptian elite. This would have been hard to swallow. To realize that they were made in God's image. Never to be ruled over, but to rule themselves. It's important as a foundation that we understand God created us in his image. He didn't create angels in his image. He didn't create the animals in his image. He created you, me, in his image. He wanted us to look like him. Humans were a very special creation. But he didn't only create us in his image. There was actually even more. Because what comes next is even more amazing and would have been even more amazing to them. He said, in our image, in our likeness, so that, so that they may rule over. This would have blown their mind. That, that they were created to rule over. Wow. Rule over what, Micah? Well, rule over all the rest of the creation. Everything. The fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures. All the creatures that moved along the ground. So from the very, very beginning, God told the Jewish people through Moses' writing of Genesis that they were to no longer be ruled by the world around them. That they were created to rule the world around them. That the world wasn't supposed to happen to them. They were created in the very beginning to happen to the world around them. And this is the big idea that I want you to get today. God created us to rule over the environment that we live in. It's very foreign to many of us. But from the very beginning, and we're going to prove it throughout out Scripture, that God created us to rule over the environment that we live in. This would be a game changer for the Israelites. They wouldn't even know how to process this. This would turn their entire worldview, this would turn their entire self-view on its head. That God not only made them in his image, that was enough, but he also gave them authority to rule over the atmosphere around them. So what God was trying to do here was to change their mentality. For them to understand who they were actually born and created to be. That God did not create them to be subject to the environment around them. But God, he had a totally different plan in mind when he created them. But then there was a problem. There was a problem in the garden. Because God had put a tree in the garden. 
And he said, look, you can have anything else. You can eat of anything else, but this one tree, don't touch it. Micah, why would God do that? Why would he create this paradise with total authority over your environment? And then it feels kind of like he trapped them, like he set a trap, right? Well, the reason for this tree was that man had to have a choice. Otherwise, listen, he was just a slave of God in the garden. He had to have a choice. If you don't have a choice, you're a slave whether you know it or not. See, God wanted them to stay in the garden and rule the garden, but God wanted man to have free will, not a slave. And in order to have free will, we have to have a choice. And so God's will was that, God, that man would stay in that garden forever, rule his environment. But he had to give man free will. And in giving man free will, man chose poorly. So Satan comes into the garden. He tricks Eve as well as Adam. And they disobey God's direction to not eat from the tree. And in that moment, and in that action, the authority to rule over the atmosphere around them that God gave them, they handed it over to the prince of this world, Satan. In Genesis 3, God talks to Satan after this happens, and he says, I will put enmity, or in other words, hostility. I'll put hostility between you, speaking of Satan, and the woman, and between her offspring, your offspring and hers. And he's talking about Eve's offspring, okay, years and years later. And here's the thing. He said, he will crush uh, your head, Eve's offspring, and you will strike at his heel. Now, we find out what this does, what this is, is actually predicting that the offspring of Eve, 4,000 years later, see, here's the prediction that Jesus will crush the head of Satan, and Satan will strike at his heel. So here, what, ha- what has happened is God gave authority to man to rule the earth, his environment. Then, in his sin, man turned it over to Satan. And here, God foreshadows that 4,000 years later, one would come that would actually take that authority back and give it back to man. And that although Satan would strike Jesus' heel, Jesus would crush his head, taking back that authority. And what do you think, who do you think he gave it to when he took it back? Fast forward, 4,000 years. Jesus, the Son of God, has left his deity in heaven. Okay? He's been born as a man. And because he left his deity in heaven, he has to operate just like we do as a man. But because he has no sin, because remember, sin is what stripped us of that original authority that we had in the garden, right? And because Jesus walks the earth and he has no sin, he can operate in full authority, the same authority that Adam and Eve were meant to have in the garden, okay? So this is why Jesus can do all this stuff. So he's doing these miracles, you know, with, uh, and he's gathered together a group of 72 guys, and he's teaching them, and he's training them. He's not just putting on a show in front of them. He's actually, he's not saying don't do this at home. He's actually training them to do it. Why? Why would he train them to do it if he was just there to show off his ability? So he sends them off by two in twos into these towns. There's lots of ministry to be done. He gives them some rules about how to treat people whenever they go. And then in Luke 10, 17, it says they come back. So they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And watch what Jesus says to them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
He says, I saw it when it happened. And then he says, I have given you authority back to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, snakes and scorpions, this is alluding back to Genesis 3, where God told Satan that you'll strike Jesus' heel, but he will crush your head. So Jesus is saying, look, it's not just my heel. I have given you authority to trample on those snakes and scorpions that would strike your heel. And I have given you all power to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. So Jesus is actually teaching them how to use this authority that he earned, that he got, that God gave Adam and Eve, that, he, that, that they gave to Satan, and that Jesus took back from him through his sinless life. And Jesus is training them. He's giving it to them, training them how to use it. Now, unless he meant for them to use it after he left, there's no reason to teach them this. But Jesus just didn't want to take back the authority from Satan and then go to heaven with it. The whole purpose for that authority originally was to give it to mankind to rule their circumstances, their environments, the world around them. And the whole purpose was that we not live like slaves, that the world is just constantly bombarding us and happening to us and we're hopeless and powerless, but that we learn how to wield this authority. In fact, it's even in the Great Commission. Jesus has already died on the cross, he's risen from the dead, and he's getting ready to go back to heaven. And what does he do right before he leaves? He gathers these guys that he's trained. And listen, if there's any question as to if he was going to hold on to this authority or if he was passing it on to man, he answers it in the Great Commission in Mark 16 and verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creation. This was the Great Commission, okay? And then he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's what we're supposed to do. Lead people to Christ, baptize them so they'll be saved. But then after that, all the things that he was teaching him to do, all his authority, he's not taking it with him, he's leaving it with us. And these signs will accompany those who believe in me. In my name, they'll cast out demons, authority. They will speak with new tongues, authority. They will pick up snakes with their hands, which once again is a reference to the Genesis 3 scripture. Okay, Once again, he's tying it back to the original delegation of authority. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. Authority. And they will let place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. Authority. This is Jesus restoring back to man the authority to rule over our circumstances. The same authority we had in the garden. To rule the world that we live in. That we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. That we have protection from sickness and anything deadly. That we have power over the devil. That we can speak with new tongues. All of these things, if there was any question at all as to if Jesus was giving us back our original authority that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden, if there was any question, this seals it. Because look, even after this, it's not even over. With the apostles, the apostles exercised this authority after he left. But Micah, those were the apostles. Come on. Jesus taught them firsthand. And so, you know, this authority thing, right? That Jesus passed out. Wasn't, wasn't that just for the apostles? And the gifts of the Spirit and miracles and all that, didn't they pass on with the apostles? That's actually a really good question. That is a great question that many people ask. And if you read the book of Acts, 
we even see the protégés of the apostles passing it down again. Paul, Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, the Bible says all these people were also exercising their authority, walking in their authority, exercising their authority, performing miracles. They were, they were ruling the environment around them. These were the men that were the protégés of the original apostles. See, I don't think the Great Commission was just for the apostles or they wouldn't have been able to teach other people. They wouldn't have been able to pass that down. See, Jesus had passed it on to them, but look, this authority, you didn't, you didn't earn it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. It was Jesus' sinless life that earned it. And then when Jesus died on the cross and washed our sins away, then we can yield that authority. The same authority that Jesus gave to his disciples and asked them to pass on to us through the Great Commission. See, because we, if, we are, if you're saved, it's not that you never sin, but you are sinless in the fact that if you're born again and if you have received him as your Savior, you've given your life to him and you've made him Lord over your life, then the acceptance of him as your Lord and Savior... That washes your sins away. It doesn't just cover them over. It washes them, over, it washes them away, and that makes us candidates for his authority. And that passes it on to us. So he passes on this authority to rule over the atmosphere. We don't have to be helpless. We don't have to be hopeless. And one of those reasons that he explains through the Great Commission, the, the, the root of that is so that we can build disciples. We can make disciple makers. That there is this cyclar, cyclical regeneration. There is a replication in Jesus' strategy and in the Great Commission. All right? God created humans to rule over the environment that they live in. And the purpose is, is so that we can go into our world and make disciples, teaching them the things that we know the things that we've learned, sharing our story with them. But so often, we get distracted by snakes and scorpions and the things that are striking at our heels within our lives. And we were meant, you were meant to tread on, to walk on, to overcome all the power of the enemy that comes at you. And the reason is, so we can focus on the one thing that Jesus left us here to do, the Great Commission. Can you imagine a life where all the circumstances around you are under your feet? That you actually have authority to rule over the, the financial situations, the relational situations within your family. The things that come against your marriage and your family and your business and the things that come against you at school and at work. All the emotional and the mental attacks that we receive. It's not that you never get attacked. But what if all those things were, they were more or less annoying. They were more annoying than they were debilitating because you had authority over them when they did happen. That all those, those challenges, they come, the storms come. Jesus said they were gonna come. So you can't get rid of that. But they don't affect you like they do the rest of the world because we know that God created us to rule over the environment that we live in. Amen. What would it be like if the church got a hold of this and when life starts happening to us we stop saying things like well must have been God's will no we discovered in the garden it was God's will that man live in the garden with authority to rule we know from the New Testament that it's God's will that all men be saved but they're not 
See, sometimes these things affect us in such a negative way because we simply do not understand that God created you. God created me to have authority over the environment that we lived in from the very beginning. And when you read the Bible with that filter, I'm telling you that you see it, not just with Jesus and not with, just with the apostles, but throughout the Bible. And then the question becomes, all right, I got it, Micah, but how? <laughs> how? Just because I know I got it doesn't mean I can use it. How do I exercise the authority that God gave me? How do I put handles on this? How do I make this practical, applicable to, to everyday living? We're going to talk about that next week. And that's why you don't want to miss part two of Living Life Strong. Will you stand with me?